0: Brother Chris James was scheduled to teach in here this morning. He's come down with a little bit of a sinus problem as a lot of this stuff is going around. So he wanted to see if he and I could swap from next week to this week. And so our question this morning, questions from the Old Testament, is found from 2 Samuel 18. 2 Samuel 18. Another great question. A great question uh, from this series of questions from the Old Testament. 2 Samuel uh, 18. you do much reading of the Bible, you probably, if you're like me, you have your favorite parts and your not-so-favorite parts. And 2 Samuel and the turmoil and David's kingdom is not, not my favorite, but as the Bible says... Romans fifteen, four, and first Corinthians eleven, whatsoever is written before our time, whatsoever is written in times past, are written for our learning, for our admonition, our instruction. So there's always a lot, a lot to learn. Second Samuel eighteen, if you look down to verses twenty-nine and 32 you got David's famous question is the young man safe talking about his son Absalom Absalom is the young man safe is it well the english standard version says is it well with the young man Absalom and right away, when we ask that question, it is it is powerful in the implication of the thoughts that rush into our head. What I want to do with you for just a few minutes this morning is to look at a little history that leads that leads to this question, a little background, and then notice. Notice one particular thought and then get to our main question about the safety of young people. Okay. You see it there in your Bible, first of all, 2 Samuel 18, 29, and 32. But then in your Bibles, let's be turning back to chapter 13, 2 Samuel 13. You will remember these things. David had a beautiful daughter named what? Tamar. Tamar. And uh, she has a half brother by the name of Ammon. Ammon. Second Samuel uh, thirteen. And if you'll notice in verse thirteen and fourteen of second Samuel thirteen that Ammon is very taken with his with his sister Tamar. And he wants her. She refuses. And so verse 14 says, 2 Samuel 13, 14, says, He raped her. He took her anyway and raped her. And then, as you think about that, Tamar has a full brother by the name of Absalom. And Absalom evidently thought that David should avenge this, should take care of this in a direct manner. And he doesn't. And so, If you look down to chapter 13 verses 28, 29 you see that Absalom takes matters into his own hands. He lays a plot and he has Ammon killed. You see that verse 28 Absalom commanded his servants Mark when Ammon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Ammon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Do be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Ammon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled away. So. He has uh, Ammon killed. Then if you'll notice, in verse uh, 37, Absalom is forced to flee the area. He flees and he stays away for three years. And finally he's allowed to come back to Jerusalem, but still not allowed to come into David's presence. Notice... um, Verse thirty-seven, number Second uh, Samuel thirteen thirty-seven. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the, the son of a uh, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. But Absalom fled and went to uh, Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Ammon. And uh, since he was dead. If you look over to 2 Samuel 14, about about verse 28, it says, um, Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem uh, without coming into the king's presence. So he was allowed to come back to Jerusalem. But for two more years, he was not allowed into David's presence. And so... As you can imagine, things are really boiling in Absalom's heart. And so notice in the chapter 15, 2 Samuel 15, verse number 6, that says Absalom did to all Israel who came to the king for judgment, and Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He stole the hearts. You know, there's more than one kind of thief in the world. Absalom was a thief. He stole the hearts of the people. In other words, anyone that creates division among God's people is a thief. He is taking away the affection of hearts and and, uh, directing it to another, causing division. And that's absolutely, hugely offensive to our God. So he stole the hearts of the people. Then notice... Verse 30, this this escalated, notice 2 Samuel 15, verse 30, it escalated to where David had to flee. Notice verse 30, David went up to the uh, ascent of Mount Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and his head covered. See that? Verse 30, 2 Samuel 15. And so finally, if you jump over uh, with me to 2 Samuel 18, the forces of David and the forces of Absalom are going to collide. They're going to meet. There's going to be a battle. Notice in 2 Samuel 18, verse number 5. Notice these words, 2 Samuel 18, verse 5. The king ordered Joab... And Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake. Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard this when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So the conflict is on, and so you might recall if you look down to verses 9 through 15 you recall what happens to Absalom. It's kind of very weird and strange. Okay. Is God behind some of this? So notice in verse uh, 9 that Absalom gets his head caught in a big old oak tree and he is suspended there between heaven and earth while the mule that, he was, under, that was under him went on away. And then Joab's men found him there. A certain man, verse 10, this is very interesting to me. Verse 10 of 2 Samuel 18. A certain man saw it and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Joab said to the man, What? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him down to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But notice verse twelve, this man responded to Joab, even if I had felt my hand, even if I had felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against a king's son. So he heard David say, Deal gently with Absalom. This servant of Joab really illustrates obedience. Not that we are wartime people, but when you think about our, your relationship, my relationship to God, these are good words to think about. Okay. Notice what he said in verse 12. Even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I'm still not gonna go against the king's command. But Joab went and found him hanging there in the tree and he struck him down. And so Absalom is dead. And now they've got to report the news to David. And this is where our question comes from. David has people, he's, he's heard about the commotion. He has people coming, in reporting to him. Verse 29, the king said, is it, is it well with the young man Absalom? And then again, verse 31, Behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord, the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. And then the king said, verse 32, Is it well? Is the young man safe? The young man Absalom, is he safe? Then notice, let just keep reading there, verse um, 33, The king was deeply moved, and he went up to the chamber over the gate, and he wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So let's go from there now and think about this important question, is the young man safe? Young man, safe. I want us to think about one thought before we get to that question. Notice David's grief here at verse 33. Oh, Absalom am I, Absalom. Up into the chamber, there he is weeping. Everybody can hear him. Is this the first time that David has experienced a loss of his little one? Go back to 2 Samuel 12. And remember, Nathan the prophet had come to David and set his sins before him. David's little one, the one born, would die. He did die. But David's reaction is very different. He prays for the child, but then after the child dies, notice um, verse 20, 2 Samuel. Twelve, verse twenty. David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house and when he and when he asked, they set food before him. His servant said to him, "What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food." He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live, but now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Why the difference there, and what's the difference in 2 Samuel 12 and 2 Samuel 18? So it's the it's the spiritual condition between the first child and now the man Absalom that that's what has now grieved David uh, so deeply is that he realizes his son has not only died physically but has now gone spiritually forever and. So it, it really grieved him at his heart. But 2 Samuel 12 clearly teaches that little babies and little children are completely safe in the arms of our Lord. So that's a thought that needs to be, I'm sure we've made that point before, but again, it's a really good one to emphasize when you think about 2 Samuel and David's heart what David realizes. All right. So let's move to our question now about how can we, how can we help ensure that our children will be safe spiritually? How can we make sure our children do not not turn into Absalom's? Sadly, there are many growing up to become Absaloms. How can we make sure that doesn't happen? So let's just make a couple comments, and then if you have something you'd like to add, that, that certainly is fine. If you're still here at 2 Samuel 12, Remember again, we talked a little bit about this last week, remember again the high cost of sin. I think one thing that we can do for our children is to impress upon them the high cost of sin. And this is certainly illustrated in the life of David. Now we remember that David's going to lose this little baby from the union of he and Bathsheba. But notice what Nathan said first to him. Verse 10 of 2 Samuel 12. Well, verse 9. Starting in verse 9. Nathan the prophet comes to David. Okay, Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. And have... Taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, notice verse ten, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your what? From your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. This is the cost of David's sin. He would have turmoil in his household. And then what do you read in chapter 13? Chapter 14? You've got got Ammon, and you've got the rape of Tamar, and then you've got the revenge of Absalom, and then you've got the heartache. Now, Now look at, where was it? Chapter 15, verse 30. David is going up to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, now here's the king, he is barefoot, but his head is covered. Do you think David thought anything about the past, his past sins, as he's having to leave, weeping as he went, his head covered? This is, this is really simple to, to take this, these little episodes here and impress them upon our children upon our youth, upon ourselves, the high cost of sin. It never pays to sin. It never pays to sin. So I would think that would be one thing we could do to ensure the safety, spiritual safety, of our young people. All right. So any thoughts that come from from you uh, before we move further from this from these episodes here Ms. Susan saying that in our homes we have to clarify we need to clarify what, what is sin? What is sin? This is it right here. This is it. Okay. We're not going to do this. That friend of yours, that's sin. She says those things, that's sin. They're going there that's sin. I think that's a good point in in relation to the high cost of sin. Too. Um, I think in the bulletin this week we have Uh, An old quote from Brother Winkler that says um, something like, um, we will stop uh, diminishing sin when we call it what it is. And when when we see what it is, when we call it what it is, when we see what it is, when we consider what it does to us and we think about where it takes us. Sister Bertha is saying we need to talk in an abundant way, you know, very generously about the reward of heaven, but also the definite punishment of God. And uh, talk about that. And it's it's the um, misery of hell is um, is a great motivator, as well as is the goodness of God and the joys of heaven. do they get their first idea of punishment from the parents and consequences and parents need to set up consequences for bad behavior and I would say also consequences for good behavior but consequences definitely for bad behavior that gives them the idea we are God's parents we are God's representatives uh, until as children until the children get of age where they can start understanding God on their own but They're getting their idea of God from us all the time. Okay, constantly teaching, definitely so. Constantly teaching. Okay. Go ahead, Ashley. Hmm? Well, Ashley was raising her hand before. That's an excellent point, especially um, Ashley reminding us of one thing that Brother Cliff said a few weeks ago. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional acceptance. We're going to love our children no matter what, but that doesn't mean we accept everything that they do or say. And we have to let them know that. Not from the standpoint of us personally, but God does not. God does not accept this. Okay. As parents, we're constantly speaking for God. God does not expect this. Okay. All right. Uh, this reminds this
1: dialogue that we're having. It reminds me of something that we Milton school. shared with me several years ago. I was first in the At that time, he was the principal of the Marth Bible School. And we had a tri-county Bible School here. And I was seated source and he said one of the things that
0: Okay. Brother Larry sharing some wisdom from, did you say Milton? Milton. Yeah. I know Brother Milton. Yeah. He he tried to make it a practice with his kids and the students also to catch them doing good as well as um, setting up consequences for bad behavior, but also point out and uh, give commendation when they're doing good as well.
2: Train it and get them for their young, it's going to be in their mind longer. Mm-hmm. It won't depart from them. But mm-hmm. They have to make the choice to follow it. It right. doesn't make us bad parents if they don't follow
0: it. Okay. All right. So, Mike's bringing up an um, excellent passage from Proverbs 22 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and making the point that uh, when we help instill in their minds the truth of God while they're young, it will not soon uh, depart, and uh, that's that's our responsibility with God to do that. And then uh, leave it to God. God God is still at work. We do our part. God will God will do His. That's correct. Obey your, obey your parents in the Lord, Ephesians 6, verse 1, Sam's bringing out. And that's, that's what it's all about. That's, what, that's God's ideal way is uh, we're teaching them the Lord's ways. It's not, it's not our ways, really. It's the Lord's ways. And, uh, we only have them for 17, 18 years, and uh, we are really uh, stepping in. God has put us in place to bring up a disciple for him.
2: As a preacher, we always have to be more common balance in our children. Nada's always tell me, Sir Mike, don't be so preachy all the time to Caleb. Caleb turned out wonderful. But it ain't uh, just Bible, Bible, Bible all the time. You gotta be well balanced. And yeah. you don't want to drive your children away from God either. Everything is God's will.
0: Okay. Balance is very important, but you see that balance in God as well. The goodness and severity of God is seen throughout Scripture. And you follow God and usually you're on the right path, aren't you? One particular thing that keeps coming back uh, to my mind when you think about how can we make help make our children safe spiritually is to realize that um, realize Satan's work and the world's work. There's one agenda with Satan. And that is to destroy uh, a child's personal faith in God. That's, that's his one agenda, is to destroy that faith. Okay. He's been at it a long time. he loved to destroy our personal faith. But if he can't get ours, he's going to try to destroy a child's personal faith in Christ. How does he go about it? It's not just one thing. It's everything that Satan does. I often look at the list in the Bible. There are good lists and there's terrible lists. You know? You got the fruits of the Spirit, but you got the you got the works of the flesh, right? Galatians five. You've got you've got things we should think about, Philippians four verse eight, things which are good and honest and true and just and lovely, good report. But there's this bad list. Okay? Um, like Paul mentions in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through uh, 5. People, in the last days, they'll be lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, and they'll be ungrateful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It makes just a very dark bulletin board of, of a list. What does Satan do to try to, to try to destroy personal faith? It's not just one thing anything that he can do to create chaos in families. He's going to do it, whether it's evolution or whether it's it's perversions of marriage. Okay? If you just step back and look, what's Satan trying to do? He's not, he's not anything he can use. Anything from from sports, anything that's harmless, anything that's outright evil. He, he's a, he, all he wants to do is destroy faith. And so we must teach our children. Jesus uh, was brought up correctly. Luke 2.52, you remember that verse? Luke 2.52, he increased in wisdom and in stature in and stature favor with God and man. Always a good pattern uh, there. But it seems like, especially in our day, We've got to spell out what, what is worldliness. What is it? What is it? And, and constantly um, uh, educate our families what it is. And it's not all negative. But we've just got to know what it is. Okay? And so uh, what is worldliness? Well, here it is. Okay. It's emphasizing flesh over the spirit. Right? There's a spirit within us. It's emphasizing fleshly things over spirit things. It's emphasizing time over eternity. Time over eternity. Okay. What's taking place before us becomes more important than eternity. It's emphasizing the outward over the inward. Do you remember Paul's discussion in 2 Corinthians 4? For which cause we faint not? 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Though our outward man is perishing, our inward man can be renewed every day. Worldliness is doing the opposite of that; it's emphasizing the outward over the inward. Worldliness emphasizes self over God, and isn't that a big thing? That self, 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 self. That's one of the first words out of Jesus' mouth in His day was, "Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Me." Self over God, and then it's emphasizing the present world over the world to come. Let's let's read together First Timothy four right quick. First Timothy four. It's a good summary of of how to teach against um, worldliness. First Timothy four. Verses um, seven and eight. Have nothing to do, 1 Timothy 4 verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myth. Rather, train yourself for godliness for bodily exercise is of some value. Profits a little, but godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and that which is to come. Okay. So what worldliness does, it emphasizes the present life way over the world, which is to come. Okay. But you can teach worldliness from the negative and the positive standpoint. You think about spirit, you know, emphasizing the, the things of the soul, what we think, okay, and what we do, what we choose, and the habits we create, what we feel. There's so much to talk about in regard to the soul. Think, feel, and choose. Okay. That's, that's your discussion with your children until they leave, is what are they thinking, what are they feeling, what are they choosing? That's the, that's the work of the soul. So it's, it's not just about what you stay against, it's what you do and what you have. But I'm certainly not talking as any expert at all, but we want to use the scriptures uh, to help us. So our big question this morning is, you know, is the young man safe? David was asking, did Absalom survive the conflict? But the bigger question from Brother Brownlow's book is the conflict with Satan. Did he survive the conflict with Satan? Do we survive it? Will our children survive it? Okay. And don't think that Satan's going to stop his agenda. Okay. So, well, this brings us down to about almost class time and over. What Anything else you'd like to share? There's, there's much in, within this subject um, that can be discussed, but it's an excellent question. These are... Incredible accounts uh, back in these old days. King David. David was a good spiritual leader. He's often called what? A man after God's own heart. Yeah. I think when Stephen was preaching there in Acts 7, later when Paul was preaching, they refer to David as being a man after God's own heart. But he had, he had huge flaws in his life and uh, he did confess his sin, but he also uh, saw great turmoil. Well, Thank you so much uh, for being in class and giving us this opportunity to discuss these matters and also uh, being able to anticipate another good day of worship together as well.